Today is Palm Sunday, marking the beginning of Easter week. And because I'm not preaching on the Palm Sunday message, I uh, have asked Scott if he would show you a very brief clip that reminds us of the events of that day. Jesus riding into Jerusalem as and being hailed as king. The people thinking that he was coming to set them free from the Romans and so... Uh, full of joy and and uh, praise, and uh, we know we know that that was not why he was coming, but he does want to be king in our hearts, and so uh, it's right that we should praise him. Let's watch this short clip. This morning when I got into the atrium, one of the first people I saw asked me if I had a stiff neck, and I thought I was covering it up pretty well. And uh, I had to confess that, yes, I, I did. So I want you to know that if it shows, I'm not frozen in fear or anything this morning up here. I just uh, need to work it out somehow. But uh, I was saying in the early service that the Bible talks about stiff-necked people, and I, I'm not one of those kind. This is, this is just a passing thing. If I was to take a survey this morning, uh, particularly of the, how many of you went to Sunday school when you were a kid? Lot, yes, yes, most of you did. And uh, if I was to ask what your, one of your favorite stories was that you learned in Sunday school, I would be pretty sure that many of you here would say uh, the story of David. And who doesn't love the story of David? the shepherd boy who became the king of Israel, the one who wrote poetry out on the hillsides of Judea and uh, and became 
king of Israel. And uh, we all know different parts of the story, but probably the most famous part of the story is uh, the story of David and Goliath. And you'll remember that uh, David had been had his brothers, his older brothers. He was the youngest in the family, and he had his uh, his older brothers who were uh, tough guys. They were in the king's army, and they were out fighting the Philistines. And David was told to go and take lunch to them. And so he made the journey to where they were and took some lunch. But while he was there, he realized there was something more going on. That in actual fact, the Israelite army had been being taunted uh, by a, a, a nine-foot guy by the name of Goliath. And he, with all his armor and so on, would come out and uh, for 40 days... Uh, morning and night, he would come out and taunt them and uh, say, you know, I'm prepared to fight. Uh, you you send a champion to fight from your Israeli army, and uh, if you win, the Philistines will serve you. If we win, the Israelites will serve us. And uh, the Bible literally says that they were just shaken in their boots or their sandals or whatever they wore back then in army. I don't know. But uh, they were just so afraid uh, of this guy. And so they could get nobody that would step forth and offer to, you know, be the one that challenged him and try to take him down. And David walks up in the midst of this, and he doesn't understand this because, you see, David has experienced uh, an anointing on his life. A few years earlier, uh, the prophet Samuel had come uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel, had had not found favor with God, and God had removed the anointing from him and said that he had someone else in mind that he was going to uh, anoint to be the future king of Israel. And so he uh, uh, came, and he was told to go and see this uh, man, Jesse, and it would be one of his sons. And the sons were brought out, all but David, who was out in the fields with the sheep, and uh, the Samuel looked at the first one and the second one, and they looked like they could be good king material. And that's the place in the scripture where we're admonished that where man looks on the outward appearance, God sees what's in the heart. And each one as they passed, God said, no, not that one, no, not that one. Finally, all the sons had passed by, and, and uh, Samuel said, well, is this all that you had? Oh, but we have David. Uh, he's just a boy. He's out looking after the sheep. And he said, well, bring him. And uh, God said to Samuel, this is the one who will be the future king. And Samuel anointed him with oil. And uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him. In the Old Testament days, you realize that uh, it wasn't a spirit of God that indwelt people. The Holy Spirit would come upon them for certain tasks. And the Holy Spirit was given to David uh, to, as future king. And so David walked in a confidence that the spirit gave him. And David had killed a bear and he'd killed a lion all on his own well, with God's help uh, when he was looking after the sheep. And so he comes and he sees his Goliath. And what can Goliath do in the face of God's strength? So he was in confidence when he came and he said, I'll fight Goliath. And uh, they thought, you're just a boy. How are you going to fight Goliath? And he said that he was going to do it in the strength of the Lord. He gave him his credentials, bear, lion, no problem. 
So anyway, they said, okay, well, nobody else is certainly stepping up to the plate very quickly. Uh, we're going to let you do this. And uh, so David, they put all this armor on him, the king's armor, the king's sword, and so on. And poor David couldn't even walk around in it. It was so heavy. And he, he said, no, you know, I can't do this. I'm going to go in the strength of the Lord. So he goes out and he, he faced Goliath. And Goliath was just so offended that they would send a boy. He said, what am I, have a dog that you would send a boy to come before me? He was looking for a real challenge. And David put him in his place. He said, you come with sword and spear and shield, but I come in the name of the Lord. And then what happened was, you all know it, that uh, he was just so ticked off by this little guy that he was going to get him stepped forward. And David ran. He had his sling that he used to ward off the, the uh, enemies of his sheep. And he took the right swing, and the stone hit its place, directed by God himself, I know. And the giant fell. And we all, everybody here, I'm sure, knows that story. And David found favor with King Saul, so much so that he treated him like a son, brought him to the palace, and, uh, you know, made promises to him. He would, he would let him marry his daughter, and... Uh, you know, just, just going to be like a son. Gave David experience and, and opportunities to go and fight in his army and uh, made him uh, positions in the army. And soon what happened, though, was that the people loved David. The soldiers loved David. I mean, what kind of a champion? You know, it's a good guy to have on your side. And so he was. they were thrilled with him. And one day when he was coming home from a battle, the people started to chant that, you know, Saul had killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And uh, Saul's ego was crushed. And he became very jealous of David and sought even to kill him. Now you remember that David had a great friend in the king's son, Jonathan, and it says they were soulmates. They they confided in each other. And and Jonathan, on many of an occasion, helped David to escape from his dad when when he was in one of his bad moods. It was a dark spirit that had come upon him. The Bible tells us. And so he uh, would get into these moods, and then he would want to kill David, and David would have to run for his life. And he many times said to Jonathan, you know. Well, why is your father doing this? Like, what have I done? Why is he taking this position with me? But there was no answer to it. He just, Saul was jealous. That was all there was to it. And he had already been told by Samuel that he was not going to stay king of Israel, that he would raise up another. And I guess Saul saw the handwriting on the wall, so to speak, and that David was going to be his replacement. And the jealousy was uh, enough in him that he wanted to kill him. And David goes on and he wins many battles and finally he finds out that Saul and Jonathan have both been killed in battle. And uh, he is made king, first of Judah for seven years, I think, and then uh, over all of Israel. They accepted him over all of Israel as the king. And so we find out that he goes out and he, he has many, many victories. God is on his side and constantly, constantly through the scriptures, through all of these battles, through all of these trials that he has, we find the words, and David inquired of God, and David inquired of God, and God said, and God did, and God led. And so we understand the relationship that he had with God, that this young fellow wasn't arrogant 
He knew that he needed God, and it was God that gave him the anointing and the strength to carry on the battles. And, uh, and, and, and as time goes on, though, we find that there's less and less of David inquired of God. And we come to, and if you want to read this at some point at your leisure, First and Second Samuel gives you the whole account of all the battles and everything else. And we come to First Samuel chapter 11, and we find the statement that when kings in the spring, when kings go out to war, David is in the palace. His men are out there on the battlefront. Uh, they're fighting the wars, and kings everywhere are out doing their battling. And David was not. He was at home in the palace. We find out that he can't sleep. And, you know, commentators say that it's, you know, a time of year where it's probably hot in the palace. And so David got up to walk around on the roof in the cold air, cool air. And, of course, he saw Bathsheba and uh, lusted after her. And he was the king. Bring her to me. And so he slept with her, and lo and behold, she becomes pregnant. And now David has a real problem. He's still worshiping in public. He's still letting on like there's been nothing going on. But in fact, uh, there is. And then he has to cover up this mess. And so in covering up, he begins to lie about things and, and manipulates uh, so that Bathsheba's husband Uriah has to come home and read it yourself. It's a long story. But the end result is that David is guilty of adultery. He's guilty of lying to cover up, and he's guilty of murder as he sends Uriah out to the front of the battle lines with the command to his men that when the battle is fiercest and Uriah is out there, everybody else come back. And, of course, Uriah didn't stand a chance. He was killed immediately. As I was studying this, because I, I, I'm not even close to my sermon text yet, I had to go back and study all about David. Um, had to make sure I was looking at all the things about the story, not just what I remembered as a kid. And I wondered, I couldn't help but wonder, what brought David to this point in his life where he stopped inquiring with God that his relationship, this closeness in God's presence uh, was no longer there in such a way that he was able to fall into temptation. And I, I went through certain scenarios that each one of us here will be able to identify with one thing or another. Maybe it was just plain battle fatigue. Maybe he was at home in the palace because he was just got tired of going out and fighting battles. This is what David did. And... God was with him, but maybe he was getting tired of it. And now he was king. He had a palace. Why would he be out on the battle lines in the mud and the sand and whatever they had out there when he could be back at home in his palace uh, safe and, and sound? Maybe that was it. I wondered how many of us that have been on the road a little bit longer, and maybe some of you younger people have been serving God for a long time, Maybe you just get weary and well-doing. You see others that seem to be doing so well, and you're still somehow fighting the battles, and that's the reason is because you have an enemy of your soul, and that enemy will come against you. And the more you try to live for Jesus, the more he's going to come against you to try and thwart your efforts. 
And so perhaps it's just battle weariness, just being weary and well-doing. Or maybe it says that he had gone through this period of time where he was afraid of Saul and he feared for his life and thought that he would be destroyed one day from Saul without realizing God's promise to him that he would ascend the throne of Israel. And so there was fear in there, fear, fear of the future and what it would hold. Perhaps it was because he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Uh, we often put that on to young people, that idea of hanging out with the wrong crowd, but getting with people who aren't of, of like mind with us in our, in our relationship to God. And maybe, just maybe, uh, he was getting weary at one point in Saul. He was tired of Saul chasing him. And so what he did is he went and allied himself with, would you believe, the very ones that were his arch enemy at one time, the Philistines. He sought refuge in the land of the Philistines and made friends with the Philistine prince. And because of that, you know, he was given an area of his own in an enemy territory and he was safe there for a while. And he even went to the extent that he was going to fight against Israel with the Philistine people. He heard that David and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Maybe it was grief he was suffering from. Maybe he had lots of questions when he was lying on his bed that night. Maybe the questions were, you know, why did Jonathan have to die? He was such a good guy. He was such a wonderful friend, a soulmate. You know, God, why did you take him? I would like to sit with him right now and talk to him about some things. God, why has this happened? I miss him. And so grief does different things to different people. And maybe it was grief that caused him to go away further from the Lord and stop inquiring of him. Or maybe thinking back on Saul's treatment, he had held on to it all these years. And, and maybe he was getting bitter about the relationship when he had been so faithful to Saul. How was it that Saul was the one that was trying to kill him? Misunderstandings, hurts that couldn't let go of. And maybe those were the whys that were in his head this morning. I know that many of us can relate to that. Misunderstandings that we've had in our lives things that people have said or done, we don't understand it, don't think we've deserved it or we hold on to it. And and don't let those things go. Let God just take them and trust him with them. Or maybe he had a false sense of security now that he was king. Maybe he realized he didn't need God as much as he used to. He had this palace. He had all these guys that could go out to battle for him and so on. Um, maybe, just maybe, he was getting very self-sufficient and didn't need God so much in his life. And perhaps he thought that he didn't have to be accountable to anybody anymore. He was the king. He could do what he wanted, say what he wanted, go where he wanted, have what he wanted. And with that kind of mentality, it would be no wonder if he saw Bathsheba and thought, this is who I want. And no matter the fact that she was married or anything else, I'm the king. We don't know what brought him to this point, but we do know, I'm sure, that because all of us have experienced some of these things, things that seem unfair, seem the things that seem like, you know, I'm tired of all of this, and we begin to rationalize, and before we know it, we're, we've got far away from God. We haven't trusted him like we should. And David comes to a place where he is confronted by God. God, let him go a year of experiencing guilt and so on. Let him go for a year before 
he sent Nathan the prophet to him. And Nathan came and gave God's words to him that he had to face his sin because this whole year he'd still been worshiping. He had been a hypocrite. He had been still making out like he was okay. He was the king. Everything was okay. Worshipped in public, but in private his heart was not right with God. And so we go to Psalm 51, which is David's great prayer of repentance. Repentance isn't a word that we hear very often anymore. Most of us are so close to the world in so many ways that we don't understand our need to repent. We, uh, we, we, we buy into the lifestyles and, and the thinking ways of the world in so many ways that we don't understand how far we can get away from God before we even know it. There's no way that David, when he was on the hills of Judea watching his sheep and creating wonderful psalms like the 23rd Psalm, there's no way that he would have ever foreseen that he could fall so far from God. And, and I, I think that's what we need to look at here, that it doesn't matter who we are, what position we hold, how much we come here and are busy or anything else, that if we're not in daily communion with God, if we're not inquiring of God and listening to what he has to say on a daily basis, that we are just as prone to, to wander away from our relationship with him. And so we find in Psalm 51, David's heartfelt cry of repentance. He was certainly ashamed of himself and, and had had to acknowledge that his guilt. But it's a wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture, Psalm 51. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but I'm going to make a couple of comments. That first of all, his cry to God is, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. David knew about God's unfailing love, and he asks for mercy. His transgressions were many, and they were serious. And he asks God's mercy. According to his complaint, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. David knows that what he has done is serious, and if he wants a relationship uh, back with his God, he needs to confess it. He knows his transgressions. And this, listen to this, my sin is ever before me. God let him go for a year of thinking about this. And he was worshiping in public, but in private, his heart was condemned. My sin is ever before me. And then he makes a really interesting comment in 51 of Psalm 51, sorry, verse 4. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Uh, This is an interesting verse, and I hope that it will encourage many of you here today. There are many people that I know who have, over the years, fallen from God's grace, just just sinned against God, and, and they felt that they could never regain the relationship that they had with him. There are some that have told me that that they can't make it right. In David's case, he couldn't make it right with Uriah. He had had him killed. He couldn't go to Uriah and ask for his forgiveness. And sometimes, even if you went to ask forgiveness, there's somebody who might not forgive you, holding on to their own uh, unforgiveness and wanting you to be guilty. And I want you to take note this morning what David says in this psalm, "'Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight.'" 
And if it's against you only, then you are the one who can forgive me. Doesn't matter if somebody else is willing to forgive you. Doesn't matter if you are unable to get the forgiveness from someone else. What you need to know this morning is that our sin is against God and against God alone. And therefore, be assured that when you go to him, that he hears you. The scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So people, if there's anybody here, you're holding on to things from the past, thinking that it's too big for God to ever forgive you, and you can't go make it right with that person, or you've tried to and the person won't forgive you, take heart that God is the one who forgives you. And when he forgives you, he forgives you. And he removes that sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you. And so that's something to rejoice in today. That your sins, if you ask for forgiveness, they're taken and they're gone. Never ever to be remembered against you again. So David realizes this and he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this thing. And then look at this. He has come with a receptive heart. He's come to God with a receptive heart, willing to accept that forgiveness, not wallowing in it forever, saying, oh, no, like I don't deserve it and so on. David came. You have to have a receptive heart when you come to God, and and then you can accept the forgiveness that he has for you. He goes on in the psalm to a portion that we, many of us, have even sung in, in chorus. He says, create in me a pure heart or a new heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. When we learned the chorus, it was in the King James, renew a right spirit within me. But steadfast is closer to the Hebrew. And what David realized that he needed was a steadfast spirit. He stopped inquiring of God. He let other things get in the way of his relationship with God. And because of that, because of that, he was, it was easier for him to fall into temptation and and create, uh, commit this sin. And so he says, I need a new heart, O oh God, and I need you to put a steadfast spirit within me, steadfast. The Apostle Paul tells us, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. David, you cease to be steadfast. You let things get in the way. Whatever those things were, you let them get in the way, and they've marred your relationship with your God. And David, you need to make all of this right. And so he prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's his spirit. Not talking about the spirit of God there. His spirit, his own spirit, needed to uh, be renewed, needed to be brought back to a place where he was in relationship with God. And then he says, don't cast me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, Saul had sinned grievously against the Lord and the Holy Spirit was taken away from him. As I said, in those days, the Holy Spirit came upon people for individual tasks that they were assigned to do, came upon kings for the purpose of their reign and 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 uh, Saul had sinned against God, and God said enough, and removed His Holy Spirit from him. And David knew this, and so he says, "God, create in me a clean heart and give me a steadfast spirit. But don't take Your Holy Spirit from me." That's the presence of God in our lives. God, I need Your Holy Spirit day by day. Don't take Your Holy Spirit from me. Then he says, "Restore." 
unto me the joy of your salvation. David remembered uh, what it was like to to be saved, to, to have God forgive him and, and to commission him to do great things for him. And he danced before the Lord, we find out in the scripture. And that joy was gone. That joy was gone of the presence of God. And so he says, you know, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If we're devoid of a particular teaching, I believe, in our churches across this nation. It's a teaching about the necessity for us to be filled with the Spirit. Recently, we went through 40 days of community, and most of you were took part in, in the sessions week by week. And I want you to know that when you were told that when you or in 40 days of community, you learn that you, you are to worship and you learn that you're to love one another and you learn you're to go and tell people about Jesus and you're, you, you're taught that you are to give. And all those things are wonderful and all those things are right. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the one thing that was missing, and I have Pastor Allen's blessing to preach this, if there is one thing that is missing, it is that the scripture tells us to be filled with the Spirit And we do not put the emphasis on being filled with the Spirit because people, listen, you cannot do those things. You can have projects. And those are wonderful. We're to be salt and light in this world. And and projects are fine. We did good things. And people were blessed by it. But if you are not doing this in the strength of the Spirit, that's just projects. God wants to empower us to walk this life in the way that we should walk it, in a way that's pleasing to him, doing the things that he needs us to do. People have said, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to witness. I'm afraid to tell the people at work about Jesus. Um, I, I'm just too shy at it. But listen to me here. With the Spirit of God in you, if you are filled with the Spirit, you can't not tell people about Jesus. And don't worry, he's not going to embarrass you by making you, you know, jump up and down and say, you know, you got to have Jesus. You got. He will, by his Spirit, lead you, give you the opportunities and lead you into what you will say. But don't talk about that you are... You are commissioned to love people. You cannot love people without the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You love through him. How do I know that I'm filled with the Spirit? And how do I know that God will even give me his Spirit? Don't I get his Spirit when I become a Christian? Yes, you become, the gift of the Spirit is given to you when you're saved. But there is more for you. The Spirit is just like he's come to live in you and now there's two. There's you and there's him in you. And then it becomes a struggle. God, you know, you can have Sunday morning. Um, that'll be your time. And I'll go to church and, and maybe even one night of the week I'll go do something. But he says, if you will let me fill you, I'll bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. I'll walk with you and you'll be able to live this Christian life in a victorious way. You'll be able to be an overcomer. And, and well, how do I, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Is that for everybody? Yes, it's a command, be filled with the Spirit. But it's something that God says, ask for. Ask for the Spirit of God to be in your life. Ask Him to fill you, to give Himself more of you. 
Ask him for that gift. Ask him to give you this power in your life that will enable you to live the life that you say, I'm tired of, I'm up, I'm down, I'm serving, I'm not serving. I, I, I feel his presence, I don't feel his presence. That's because you need the spirit of God in you and you need to surrender to him. And he was given to you for this purpose. I can't live the Christian life. No, you can't on your own. You need the Spirit of God within you to give you the power to live in the way you ought to live. And that Spirit is available to you and available to me if we'll avail ourselves of that and and ask for it. Read the book of Acts. I challenge you to read the book of Acts this month. Uh, Read through it. Read through it again. Find out how ordinary people who denied Jesus at one point, who ran from him, the very ones that had had been with him for so long, all of a sudden find themselves in a place where they're denying him. And they can't believe that they would even do that. But in their weakness, they did. And find out how after they had a touch of the Holy Spirit in their lives and surrendered to him, what they did when they walked down the streets, it said, Peter, the one who denied him, when he walked down the very streets, people in his shadow were healed. It's, it's a work of the Spirit. And we need this people in these days that we live. We need the Holy Spirit within us, working in us, and helping us to live the life that we should live. When I was preparing this message, I, uh, I couldn't help but think of my pastor. And I thought of how I haven't prayed for him as I ought to have prayed for him. You see, David was anointed by God to do what he was to do. Pastor Allen is anointed by God to be our pastor, to lead us. Pastor Taryn, anointed by God for a purpose. Mark, anointed for a purpose. And we need to be praying for these people. And God made it clear to me when I got to the end of my message. As a matter of fact, it was finished. And God said, one more thing. And I realized that Pastor Allen is up there in the front lines of battle. And the Bible tells us that in Isaiah 59, I believe, that when the enemy comes to us, the enemy of our souls, he comes like a flood. And we in southern Manitoba, our ears pick up when we hear flood. I've been listening through the week as to how the things were happening with the river and so on. And people are out calling for volunteers to come and sandbag and fill sandbags and so on. And I got a just a mental picture in my mind about Pastor Allen and how we need to pray for him. How we need to ask for God's protection around him. How we need to be constantly daily praying for him, that God would strengthen him in his spirit, that he would give him wisdom to lead us, and that he would be uh, a spokesperson for, for Jesus in this world and in this community. And I saw that with every prayer that people pray, it's as though it's one more sandbag going up to build a dike of protection around about him. And we need to do this. We need to commit to do this. He's our pastor, our leader, and we know, we know that if he's doing what's right and striving to do what's right, that the enemy will come in, and he cannot do this without us. And so I, I, I challenge you this morning, I plead with you this morning, that God has spoken to my heart and that he will speak to yours about the need to be praying for our pastor to keep those floodwaters back that could, could overflow him. You say, oh, not Pastor Allen. Oh, not David. 
Not anybody else who's in the service of God. Yes, of all people. Years ago, there was a preacher in one of the churches, a very, a very profound teacher. And he got involved with a young lady. And he fell, he lost his papers with the PAOC and so on. And my mother is a very godly woman. And one day I knew about this. I hadn't said anything to anybody. And one day she was in my car. And she said, do you know what I heard? And I said, what? And she proceeded to tell me about this pastor. And I said, yes, I knew. And I heard somebody look to her and she was weeping in the car. She said, we have not prayed for him like we should. No condemnation. No pointing fingers. Just we should, we have not prayed for him like we should. If it could happen to a David, it can happen to any of the pastors, not just Pastor Allen, all the pastors of our fellowship that have such a job to do in this world to bring the message of Jesus. I, I just, I challenge you, I challenge you that you pray for him daily, that God would just lift him up and set him in a high place. How do I know that I've been filled with the Spirit? Controversial subject. You pray for it and ask God to fill you with his Spirit daily. Ask him. And you will know because of the fruit of the Spirit that will be evident in your life. When you're at work and you begin to speak to the person next to you because they're telling you and and opening their heart about a situation and you say, you know what? I understand that situation. And Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you what I believe? And you do it because the Spirit of God gives you opportunity and, and you're able to speak the words that God puts in your mouth. You don't have to stammer. You don't have to stutter. And you don't have to work up the courage. You'll just want to do this. And for all the different things that you're facing in your life and you feel sometimes like, like the battle is just being won against you, you need that Spirit of God in you to to strengthen you and to give you confidence to go on and to see victories in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You'll begin to see these things worked out in your life as you as you allow His Spirit to move and work in you. That's how you'll know if you're filled with the Spirit, when you love somebody that you just didn't love before. When you... you you, you find yourself being able to love the unlovely. Anybody can love good people. But loving the unlovely, you won't be doing projects. You'll just have a desire to bless people because the Spirit of God is in you and taking control of your life. I challenge you this morning. People read up about the Holy Spirit, and it's a Holy Spirit is a gift from God that Jesus left us when he went away. And he's the one that will empower you to be what you ought to be. And you need to make it your prayer. Pastor Taryn, we're going to close with a prayer this morning in song. And I ask you to make the prayer your own. Many of you may have to use the words of Psalm 51, asking for a clean heart. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you've never confessed your sin to him. And knowing his forgiveness in your life, you can do that right now. But the one who breathed life into you when you were born wants to breathe new life into you this morning. And I just pray that you will make this your prayer. Would you stand, please, and we'll sing together.